This is UFOs, UAPs, and the solution to quantum propulsion. So before we get into UFO propulsion, I want to give a quick update to the construction of the Voorhees Anti-Gravity Turbine, or the VAG for short. So for the last couple of podcast episodes, I referenced a meeting between me and another individual who's on a panel for Phone Home 2 on the Unidentified Celebrity Review Channel. And he had a lab and he told me that the quantum echo hypothesis was garbage and that everybody had a theory and if I couldn't build it, then what good was it? And I called him the Falcon. I was constantly asking Ashley, can I go to the lab today? Can I go to the lab this weekend? And she's like, oh no, you can't go. You know, we need to help move my mom. And that was something else else. Then it was, I don't feel very good. But finally, last weekend, I met the Falcon in his lair. But even though he said the quantum echo hypothesis was there, I was totally friendly and shit. If I went out to go get a meal, I brought enough for everybody. I'd always bring the Falcon something like a happy meal with extra fries and a toy for a girl. Because I think defeating gender stereotypes is something that everyone should take seriously. And because the total look of confusion on his face was really funny. Words can't really describe it. It was totally priceless. And that is a fact. So I drove up to New Jersey from Maryland on a Friday and I got there pretty late. So I worked until the wee hours of the morning building the vag. I was an absolute machine. The next day, showed up at the lab and worked all day until 5 o'clock the next morning. But the Falcon and my new friend Tom, they were all were tired. And so at 5 o'clock in the morning, we went back to sleep, slept for a few hours, and then got after it again on Sunday. And I worked till 10, but I had to stop. Not because I was worried about getting home at a decent hour, which I wasn't, which I didn't, but because I ran out of things to build. I built almost the entire vag. The only thing I didn't do was fix the electrical contacts to the spinner apply the magnets because I didn't have them, attach the tachometer so I know what the RPMs are. I didn't have the right bearing for the top. I didn't have the right coupling to attach the spinner to the shaft of the motor. And I left the boilerplate at home. And I actually left most of the plexiglass I needed at home, so I had to go to Home Depot and buy some more, which is kind of a bummer. But now, I actually have pretty much everything I need to build a second one. And I got some even better ideas from Tom, who's a machinist, about some things I could do that make it even better. So I ordered some regular magnets and they just got here. And so I'm actually going to take the prototype of the Vag. I'm going to put some different magnets in it and I'm going to attach all the contacts. But it's Kuki's birthday this weekend. She's five. And so she's got the weekend. So maybe the following weekend, I'll be able to put the whole Vag together. So the weekend after Kuki's birthday, I'm going to put the prototype Vag Mark 1 together. I'm going to put it on the scale and fire it up and see what happens. The dimensions of the Vag might surprise you. It's about two feet on one side, it's about three feet on the other side, and it's about five inches tall. The spinner is a really cool looking copper disc with radial filaments and a thick copper inner and outer edge. And if you want to see a picture of it, check out the Sonic Gravity Facebook page or Instagram. Like, follow, and comment while you're there, and you'll see exactly what it looks like. It's pretty cool. And it's going to be great, as long as it doesn't suck me into a vortex or make me explode like a nuclear bomb at the speed of light which it won't, I'm pretty sure. But I wasn't that talkative at the lab. Me and the Falcon didn't have long, emotional, deep conversations. I pretty much showed up and just worked my ass off the whole time trying to get the vag built. 
And at 10 p.m. on Sunday night, I looked over at the Falcon and I said, how far did you think I was going to get? And he said something that totally surprised me. He said, man, I didn't think you were going to get anything done. He said, I thought you were just going to show up like almost everybody else and just annoy me all weekend. And he's like, you hardly talked. You just worked. (laughs) And he said, I respect that. And he said, you can come back here anytime you want. And I thought that was pretty high praise. So the Falcon's definitely in my cool book. And I hope he enjoyed his Happy Meal. There's plenty more where that came from. But enough of that. Let's talk about UFO propulsion, tractor beams, and questions from the Sonic Tribe. So when as a prosecutor, the one thing every prosecutor salivates for is to get a shot at the champ. And a shot at the champ is what you call it when the accused waives his Fifth Amendment right to self-incrimination and takes the stand in his own defense. As a prosecutor, you got to be ready for that. Because if you can't wreck that guy on cross-examination, then he's probably going to walk. So you got to have all your questions. You got to know every fact inside and out. You need to have all your rebuttal evidence so that whenever he opens his mouth, you can just shove all that evidence up his ass. And if you can do that, guilty. And so Singularity Mike at the Singularity Lab is trying to get someone with some physics credentials to step into the ring with me and take a shot at the champ. I don't want to be all confrontational towards anybody, but to be honest, from the physicists I've heard trying to explain their theories on mass reduction and alternative propulsion, I would wreck them all in this space. So it doesn't surprise me that nobody wants to step into the ring with the madman. Nobody wants to take a shot at the champ. That is a fact. But I trust Mike, he says he's going to do it, so it's just a matter of time, and I can't wait. But I'm gonna, because I have to, but I don't want to. So we say the Higgs field is the quantum field that leashes matter to our instance of Planck time. And if you look at the energy of the Higgs boson at zero excitement, so in a vacuum, the energy of the Higgs boson is non-zero, and that makes sense because it swings the mass of the universe in a circular orbit of four Planck times, although we can only interact with about 18% of our matter because it only crosses our hologram in two places. So for two Planck lengths along that four pi Planck length circular orbit, orbit or oscillation so to speak at the 6 and the 12 o'clock positions. And this is just kind of an aside but in the year 2000 the Clay Mathematics Institute picked seven math problems that couldn't be solved and called them Millennium Prize Problems. And if you solve any one of them you get a million bucks. And that was in the year 2000. And one of those problems is called the Yang's Mills Existence and Mass Gap. So I looked it up on Wikipedia and the Diffie-Q math is pretty gnarly. But the conceptual takeaways are these. Yang-Mills theory works if the electro-weak unification happens, which is the electromagnetic field and the weak nuclear force. And guess which field breaks the symmetry of the weak nuclear force? Yep, the Higgs field. So in order to make it work, you gotta get rid of the Higgs field. And what does the Vag do? Yep, it breaks the symmetry of the Higgs field. So we're gonna unchain the weak nuclear force, which is gonna give us our propulsion, which we'll talk about in a minute, and it's gonna combine the electro magnetic force because that's the field we're creating to bust the Higgs field. So I might not be able to do the math on it right now, but I'm definitely going to do it with the Vag. And Gerard Tooft is kind of my hero now because I saw where he kind of chimed in and said that our particle renormalization will happen as long as the mass particles are generated by the Higgs mechanism. And it says in that gauge group, the electroweak force gets along and doesn't break the symmetry of the strong nuclear force. So that means when we decouple the Higgs field, we won't explode like a nuclear bomb at the speed of light. Probably. 
I'm pretty sure. So I wonder if they'll give us the million bucks for the Millennium Prize solution if we just do it, even if we don't use equations and shit. Anyway, it's gonna work because left-handed electrons thought to be slowed by the Higgs field must be able to excite the Higgs string because if Newton's second law, blending Newtonian physics and quantum mechanics here, just saying, tells us that if the Higgs field is pulling on the left-handed electron, then the left-handed electron is also pushing on the Higgs field, and that is a fact. So our harmonically pulsing electromagnetic field containing left-handed electrons could achieve resonance with the frequency of vibration of the Higgs string, which will excite the Higgs string with enough energy to reduce it to its ground state in what we call a spontaneous symmetry break with the Higgs field. If I'm not wrong, a spontaneous symmetry break with the Higgs field is possible. Assuming that the Higgs field is what leashes our matter to our instance of playing time, then it's plausible that our Higgs singlets and some of those bosons would fly into the past and create a quantum hologram. Just like the Higgs singlets that have been observed in the Large Hadron Collider at CERN when the particle collisions released the Higgs boson from the atom. So if we decouple from the Higgs field, we think that would create a mass hole so that the zero-point energy from the electroweak nuclear force would push super hard on, on our resonating electromagnetic field to shove matter into into our mass hole, so to speak. But in some ways that's a net zero force because the force cancels itself out because it pushes on the front and top just as hard as it pushes on the back and the bottom of the field. So it all kind of cancels. So to propel ourselves, we need to figure out a way to get the zero point energy to push harder. So if we want to fly forward, we need to figure out how to get the zero point energy to push harder on our asses. Or if we want to go to the left, we need to figure out how to get the zero point energy to push harder on our right. So that's the game. That's the propulsion game. How do we convince the universe to push harder on one side or the other? And it turns out we can do it the same way Gomez cooks her ramen and rather be squidding cooks his hot pockets. Yep, you guessed it microwaves. You might be thinking to yourself, you mean microwave oven microwaves? Yep, microwave oven microwaves. We'll give our Tic Tac all the thrust it needs to achieve near light speed. And that is a fact. It's going to be so easy. It's going to be stupidly easy. When I tell you how it works, you're just going to be like, duh. And then whenever you hear Jack Sarfati talk about metamaterials and slowing the speed of light, I want you to make a fart sound like... Because those ideas stink big time. And that is a fact. So it's like, hey, I'm a PhD. My name is Jack Sarfati. A Tic Tac called me when I was a kid. Let's make some metamaterials. Because in the mind of a madman is the only appropriate response. At least until Sarfati decides it's time to take a shot at the champ. Anyway, back to the real propulsion solution. Because if we shot microwaves in the direction that we wanted to go from inside the craft, the zero point energy would push harder on the opposite side that we shot the microwaves. Because there would be sort of a differential force in the non-uniform quantum vacuum. So if we shot microwaves from inside the ship to the front, it would put some matter. It would put some microwaves. It would put some matter in the front of the ship 
and that would relieve some of the zero-point energy pressure. The weak nuclear force in the universe would go, oh, there's a little bit of something here in the front of the ship, so I don't need to push quite as hard on the front. And so the force would be greater in the back, so we'd actually follow that beam wherever we pointed it. And microwaves are pretty safe. Microwave radiation isn't the same as the radiation that went off at Chernobyl or created Chud, the cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, or the gamma rays that turned Bruce into the Hulk. That was all ionizing radiation. That's radiation that's high energy, that's powerful enough to bust the DNA, cause mutations in cancer. And many believe that those kinds of high energy particles are responsible for the way we experience age and the deterioration of our bodies over time. So that's called ionizing radiation. But microwave radiation just kind of bounces off of us. But when it bounces off of us, it has enough energy to bump into our molecules. And that's the exact same thing as heating them up. Because heat is just shaky molecules. When things burn, it's because the shaking is so powerful that the molecules actually shake apart and release energy, which is what flames are. It's why the sun's rays can burn you too. So if you get burnt, you can actually say, oh, my molecules just got very shaky. And you'd be scientifically correct and that is a fact and so now that's a piece of your sonic gravity ufo uap puzzle and the interesting thing is then when you start looking at some alleged ufo encounters like marshall county deputy sheriff val johnson who said that he got hit with a ball of white light at 1:40 a.m in the middle of the night on september 11th 1979 his windshield busted and one headlight busted it was smashed both radio antenna were bent back when he was recovered the clock on his dash and his watch were 14 minutes behind. He was also discovered with what was described as RF burns, radio frequency burns, around his eyes and on his body. He described it as getting hit with a 200-pound pillow. But to anyone in the Sonic tribe who understands UFO and UAP under the quantum echo hypothesis and just from straight critical thinking, if that UAP was using microwaves and differential zero-point energy for propulsion, then it makes perfect sense the deputy Johnson got hammered with a blast of microwaves, which would give him shaky molecules on his face and body. And we also know from Critical Thinking Part 7, UFOs, UAPs, and the key to immortality, anything inside that field, anything inside that Higgs displacement field, there is no time. All the particles in that field are oscillating at the speed of light and time stops, which is why Deputy Johnson's watch and the clock in his cruiser stopped, which suggests that the UAP spent 14 minutes with him. And that is probably a fact. Maybe. I'm pretty sure. But the best part is, is that when you're critically thinking, when the genesis of your thought focuses on the things that you know, you start arriving at conclusions that are unachievable any other way. I didn't know about Deputy Johnson's 1979 encounter with the UAP until just a few days ago, but I didn't need to, to arrive at a plausible explanation for every single facet of that encounter. Don't you hate being right all the time? Because think about it, if this Tic Tac were just manipulating space but had all its mass, like all those weird purveyors of quantum plasma and AccuBear warp drive and light manipulation, Sarfati style. Huh? Then it would have pancaked Johnson's cruiser, and he would have been squished all over the inside of that vehicle. And that too is a fact. 
It corroborates the quantum echo hypothesis and that the craft moved by zero-point energy created by shooting microwaves in the direction of travel because when the UAP flew into Val, it was writing microwaves that it had aimed at Val in order to fly into him. He said he was hit by a 200-pound pillow, which makes sense under the quantum echo hypothesis because the quantum echo hypothesis predicts that a craft disassociated with the Higgs field would be capable of quantum tunneling at scale. So it's plausible that those Higgs singlets trailing back in time would create an enough gravity to sustain a wormhole that would enable the people in the past to see quantum pilots of the future zipping around. So in the final analysis, it's really interesting that Deputy Sheriff Val Johnson's experience from 1979 is fully accounted for under the sonic gravity quantum echo hypothesis, so it's just another puzzle piece that fits perfectly, and that is a fact. So now that we've talked about propulsion, a UAP tractor beam should be an obvious application of what we've just talked about, right? Right? If you want to use a tractor beam on a UAP, all you got to do would be essentially to zap it with some microwaves. But there is one wrinkle. Microwaves are low energy. And I think it's possible that the electromagnetic field that's generated disassociating the Higgs field around that Tic Tac might be strong enough to shield the craft from microwaves. And that's kind of what the Northern Lights looks like. Earth creates a magnetic field that goes up out of the North Pole, around the sides, and back in the South Pole. And our craft would be making a similarly shaped field. And when you look at the northern lights, what you're actually seeing are charged particles, electrons and photons that are trapped in the layers of that field, kind of bouncing back and forth. It's all pretty much like the solar wind that the Earth's magnetic field is protecting us from. So it's possible that microwaves would just kind of bounce off the field the same way that the Earth is protected from the charged particles that make up the northern lights. So you'd probably need to shoot them with X-rays and gamma rays and ionizing radiation so that those higher energy particles, the ones that turned Bruce into the Hulk, created Chud and melted down at Chernobyl, that ionizing radiation would likely have enough energy to penetrate the electromagnetic field that decoupled the Higgs field so that it could invade the mass hole of that Tic Tac and affect the way the zero point energy pushes on that ship. But I think it's also true that if you shot it right through the middle, it might not do anything because if you shot x-rays through the front and they went in the front and out the back, then the presence of those waves would be equally present in the front and the back, so it would still be the same. It would still be a zero point effect. It would, the front, the x-rays in the front would cancel out the x-rays in the back, and so you'd be kind of out of luck. So if you want to use a tractor beam, you can't shoot them right in the face. You gotta glance them. You gotta wing them on the left or the right, and then you'll drag them to the left or the right. Or if you hit them across the belly of the craft, it'll suck them down towards the ground. Or keep a focused beam that glances the roof and you'll shoot them up into the atmosphere. I'm pretty sure. And since the VAG is an electromagnetic field generator, one thing is for sure. An electromagnetic pulse, the EMP, will knock out electrical systems. And if you knock out electrical systems, then you knock out your Higgs displacement field, which will cancel the sonic gravity mass effect. And if the sonic gravity mass effect is canceled, then guess what? Then your flying saucer becomes a frisbee that nobody's gonna catch. And I don't know for sure this is just sort of speculation, but I'd bet that the craft that crashed at Roswell crashed because of a nuclear test because in the 1940s and 50s there was a fair amount of nuclear testing going on and if a nuke went off close to Roswell then the EMP could have screwed up the VAG in the Roswell craft and if your VAG is screwed then you're pretty much fucked and that is a fact
And so when you hear about these craft that are shutting down nukes and turning off nuclear missiles, it kind of makes sense, right? Because if a nuke sets off an EMP, it's going to crash every quantum ship that's in the radius of that EMP. And even way worse than that, we talked about critical thinking 11 UFOs, UAPs, and American chrononauts, which is like time pilots. We talked about how if I spun up at my Tic Tac, created an electromagnetic field, decoupled the Higgs field, and opened up a wormhole into the past, and then someone else in a tic-tac from my time disassociated their Higgs field and flew through my craft, they could exit my wormhole into the past. And that seems totally plausible, but you're going to have a bad day if an EMP blows out the vag of the ship that you traveled through to get into the past. Because when that ship turns off, you literally become history, and that is a fact. And so the last one's easy, right? How do we launch a satellite into space without a rocket with a mirror? Yep, you just spin up the vag in that satellite, use focused ionized radiation and the mirror if necessary to get the right angle, to glance the top of the satellite, which will launch it into space. So you've just spent 20 minutes orbiting in my sonic gravity, viewing the universe through the eyes of a madman. The next few episodes are going to be these. Critical thinking supremacy, the last parsec problem, the cosmic microwave background, dark matter, dark energy, and the quantum dark flow. Critical thinking supremacy, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, the solution to quantum gravity, and the unification of general relativity. And then we're going to have UFOs, UAP, and the crazy that could be real. And then we'll have Critical Thinking Part 14, The Evolutionary Universe. And somewhere all mixed in, we'll have the test results of the VAG Mark I prototype. And we'll answer questions from the Sonic Tribe. Good probing questions, testing the merits of the hypothesis. And when Sonic Gravity releases you, you will know for certain that convergent plasma and metamaterials are just the feeble attempts of mediocre minds with the plausibility and intellectual merit of a... And that too is a fact.